podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. The boys are back, and we are wrapping up week one of Blitz Week in fashion. He's probably my favorite guy to talk to. He's completely changed the way I watch sports. He took me out of caveman mentality just looking at raw stats and brought me into the advanced statistic golden age. It's the man. It's the myth. It's a legend. It is a one-time trivia champion, Jimmy Goheen. Jimmy, Jimmy how are you doing today, my friend? Doing well. Uh, you're you're far too kind, but I appreciate it. And uh, just um, it's good to talk football and be thinking about football and and kind of see football on the horizon as as we get into the next few weeks and even what there's a game tonight, right? Yeah, Possibly. we're yeah we're recording this on eight twenty nine. Just for the record, I believe this will be publishing on uh, Friday, so six days from now from when we're recording it. But yeah, there's. You know, Central Arkansas and Austin P today. I think when folks are listening to this, there's going to be, you know, a handful of group of five football games tomorrow. Uh, high school football is coming back around the country. Um, you know, you're going to have NFL, you know, a week from now. You know, football is back. And I tell you what, before we really get into it, there, there were quite a few moments in the summer where I didn't think this time period would come this year. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I went back and forth. Probably the uh, the lowest um, optimism I had was when the the Big Ten stuff started going down, and and they were, you know, clearly looking back now, they were leaking information to try to push everybody else over the edge. And I'm just glad the SEC and the ACC and the Big Twelve and some of the Group of Five leagues didn't cave to their uh, their demands to try to push this thing to the spring, and now they're trying to go back on what they said originally anyway. So I, and then, and then you have now media pushing, well, everybody else should wait on the big 10. I'm like, no way, no way. They made their bed. They can sleep in it. Yeah. I, I'm not a big media conspiracy theory guy in sports or news, but I think it's become quite obvious who the group of journalists, at least in the sports world that are in the back pocket of the big 10, because all of a sudden on Thursday and Friday when you start hearing the reports of, ooh, maybe the Big Ten's not going to wait till the winter or spring. They're just going to start late fall. It was not even, you know, five or ten minutes later. You had Ari, you had Seth, you had all these guys, Stuart, tweeting out, ooh, wouldn't it make more sense for everyone to wait and start at the same time? No. If, if the Big Ten wanted to play at the same yeah. time as everyone else, they should have held off and started, you know. I mean, the SEC still isn't starting for another month. Uh, they could have pushed everything back and been on the same schedule as the SEC, but uh, it's become quite obvious which uh, media members are being used as puppets of the Big Ten, and it's uh, it was a little eye-opening. I did appreciate that Scott Van Pelt came out and just pretty much called him on it. I saw that video on Twitter this morning where he just said, the Big Ten looks like a bunch of fools, which I appreciate from Van Pelt. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, and uh, 
quite frankly, I, I hope the Big Ten ends up not getting to play because I work with a couple of Nebraska fans and I like making fun of them. So uh, I, I've had a lot of fun with that. And I hope I can keep doing it. Something else that is a lot of fun is heading over to betonline.ag. Like we just spent, you know, five minutes talking about football's back. If you want to gamble on all the games coming back this fall, NBA is still going, Major League Baseball. Literally anything you could want to wager on, futures, live betting, all the lines, head over to betonline.ag. They're the exclusive online wagering partner of the entire Armchair Media Network. All right, we're going to get into it, and this is something that I set at the top of the show. Uh, we're going to touch on, at least in your portion, before we get to the questions we've asked every guest on Blitz Week, focusing in on the advanced statistics. And like I said at the top of the show, you're the reason – why I focus on this type of stuff during big 12 play and football and basketball, you're putting together your own charts. You've changed the way I look at sports before we get into the questions. When did you really start keying in on advanced stats and what came first focusing in on a basketball or football for you? It's a good, really good question. I, I would say definitely basketball first. Um, Ken, Ken Palm, you know, is kind of, who I think of is the originator of advanced stats in college sports. And he, he really got basketball going early 2000, late 2000 aughts, early 2010s. Um, it was when I started focusing on it, probably really started following it 2010, 2011 with K-State basketball and, and really looking at possession-based statistics rather than game-based statistics because games, you know, you, you, you're limited. And, and Ken Palm kind of took his idea from Dean Oliver, who was kind of the, the original guru of possession-based stats. And I think he worked more with, I think maybe starting with North Carolina basketball way back when and Dean Smith. So that's kind of where the roots come from. And then football, probably mid-2014-15, um, was when I started looking more at the, the advanced stats and kind of the Bill Connolly is now works at ESPN used to be at footballstudyhall.com was kind of where he got his start. He's got a system called SP plus and really originally what he was looking at is Ken Palm and basketball is the four factors, which is field goal percentage turnovers, offensive rebounds and free throw rate, which is how many free throws you get compared to field goal attempts. Connolly's tried to look, football has so many moving parts. It's harder to come up with four or five, but he came up with five and uh, he started with explosiveness, which kind of the main way he went was uh, yards per play and points per play efficiency, which is how efficient you are. And he went with, he, he came up with this system called success rate, which is gaining a certain amount of yards on each uh, first or reach down. So first down, if you gain five yards, you got half the yards you need. That's a successful play. Second down, it's 75%. Third down, it's 100%. So he came up with that system for success rate, which I think is really good. Field position where you start when you get the football. Um, finishing drives. And he came up with points per trip inside of the 40. Instead of just the red zone inside the 20, he measures from the 40 because conceivably you can make a field goal from there. So that's why he went with that. And then turnovers, mainly turnover margin and some of those things. So that's where I, I kind of got into when, when I saw the five factors, I'm like, hey, this, 
this fits right in with Ken Palm, and this makes sense to me. And then there's a guy named Brian Fremont that does kind of per drive stats that is probably the second leading guy out there, but Connolly is, is really the man. Definitely. And Bill Connolly, like you said, he's kind of the gold standard. Um, when it came to his stuff in the S&P Plus, where did K-State come up in, uh, you know, in 2019? And when you look at it, where is he kind of projecting or thinking the Cats might look like in 2020? Last year, K-State finished 46th. So they're kind of right in the middle. Um, seventh in the Big 12. Um, OU, Baylor, Iowa State, Texas, Oklahoma State, and TCU all finished ahead of K-State. And then Tech. West Virginia and KU were behind them. And it's pretty much the same this year. K-State's at 54th. The, the, he made this in February. He hasn't really updated it since everything's gone down. Um, and, again, still seventh in the Big 12. But, like, there's a pretty good mix. Um, K-State's right there with Tech. Texas Tech is at 59th this year in the preseason. Um, but then there are uh, six teams in the top 40 from the Big 12 this year, Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State are all in the top 20, basically, and then Iowa State, Baylor, and TCU are in the 30s. So, and there's some there's some ways that kind of style of play factors into helping your SP plus, sort of like K State's basketball team we've seen, and Ken Palm and some of the other metrics has sometimes struggled because of the way they play. So it that that there's a little bit of subjective to it, to it, but I think overall it's a really good system. Definitely. So when you look at all the different metrics that you really like to zero in on, last year, where did K-State thrive and where did they kind of come up short? Yeah, the biggest – K-State really is special teams U at this point. Um, they finished sixth overall. And, and if you – I combine the, the Connolly metric and the Fremont metric and average them out to kind of do this, I don't know if – I don't know how statistically very uh, accurate that is, but it makes sense to me to take the two best in average them. K-State finished sixth, uh, if you average them out, third in uh, Fremont's and eighth in Connolly. So they've been really good. They've, they've had eight top 20 finishes in special teams the last 13 seasons. So it's been the thing uh, that K-State has always done well, has finished well in special teams. Offensively, last year they finished 60th, so not really, not really great. Um, K State's peak offense was from 2010 to 2014. Just for reference, uh, they had six top 35 finishes in those seven seasons, so that was really where they were the best. And they had three straight top 20 finishes from 2012 to 2014. So that's where you look at case where K State has been its best defensively. Um, they haven't been quite as good. Uh, they had top 35 defenses from 2011 to 2013. Last year, they finished at 39, which is pretty respectable. It's not bad. Um, but if you look at the average, the average on offense over the last 13 seasons has been about 44th. The average on defense has been about 55th. And the average on special teams has been about 21st. So special teams has been the thing. Pretty decent on offense, a little bit above average, and then about average on defense. Definitely. Um, you and I were talking the other day about some, some of the exact metrics you really key in on. Those are the per drive statistics, punt rate, and turnover rate. 
What is the threshold you see in those metrics for great teams and how far off the pace would K-State be uh, last year at achieving that level? Yeah, that's a good, really good question. Um, points per drive, the Big 12 average in Big 12 games only was 2.34. And nationally, the average for all games was 2.26. So 2.3 is kind of the ballpark of an average points per drive for a team. Now, when I look at all these stats, Conley stats, per drive stats, you have to consider all of these stats throw out what, what they call garbage drives. So once you get up 20 by the fourth quarter, pretty much they consider the game over and stats over. And then it's 26, I think, in the third quarter, and it's 36 in the second quarter, and the first quarter is the whole quarter. So keep in mind, these stats that I use throw out garbage drives, which I think makes them even better. Um, if you look at what is great, Oklahoma's, you know, you think of as a great offense. They were 3.61 last year. Um, there were 12 teams over 3.0 points per drive nationally last year, and there were two over 4.0. Alabama and LSU were both over four. So um, really, your, your goal should be probably 2.5 or better if you're if you're K-State. Now you look at defense, then you want to look at the other way. Um, the Big 12 average on defense um, was, let me see here, 2.34. So the same, 2.26 nationally. K-State was actually pretty good there. They finished 2.10 in the Big 12, which was third in the league. So not too bad. You really want to get to around 2.0. Um, again, nationally, if you want to look at elite, 1.5 is kind of the elite mark. 11 teams were under 1.5. And then three teams, two teams finished at 1.0 last year, Clemson and Ohio State. So it kind of makes sense. You think of those as elite defensive teams. They were the best teams out there. And really, your hope, your goal should probably be 2.0 or better. Um, Baylor led the Big 12 last year at 1.56. So they were, they were pretty darn good in the Big 12. But like I said, K-State was third at 2.1. Iowa State was 2.09. So pretty much tied for second for K-State last season. So if I'm interpreting that correctly, at least if you're going off of last year, defense was just, you know, real close to being where you want to be, but the yes. offense still has probably a step and a half still to get there. Yeah, offense, offense was 2.37 in Big 12 play, which was fifth, which, you know, about average. They weren't awful. They weren't great and uh, kind of went up and down as the season went along. They had really good games like Oklahoma, and they had some really bad games like West Virginia. So um, you just got to look at trying to be more consistent over the course of the season and having some kind of breakout games where you, where you have, you know, three, four points per drive against uh, solid teams. Definitely. So ultimately coming into what's going to be a shortened and weird 2020 season, it may be harder than ever to really judge on the surface if a second-year head coach makes that jump or falls back a little bit. Where are you really going to be keying in on to determine whether or not K-State made some changes or improved over what was a very good debut season for Chris Kleiman? Yeah, and again, this goes back to why I like these stats, because I can compare a 12-game season and a 10-game season, and there's no difference. And I don't have to worry about how many total uh, they had. Even even points per game you can look at, but again, K-State's pace of play is, you know, K-State plays at 10 or 11 drives per game. Some some Big 12 teams that play faster, like Oklahoma State, <clears throat> play at 
16, 17 drives per game. So there's a lot of things that go into really comparing uh, when you look at that. Um, biggest thing for me, like I said, the schedule is fairly tough with six top 40 teams, preseason top 40 teams, and then another one versus basically number 60, and then three more against, you know, Arkansas State's 86, KU's in the hundreds, West Virginia's down there in the, the 80s, 70s or 80s. So um, you have four games you should win, and then you have really six pretty tough games. Um, but again, I'm going to look at can, can they make these marks? Can they get to 2.5 drives points per drive on offense? Can they keep opponents under 2 points per drive? K-State approved those numbers in the second year, both offense and defense, it's going to be a fantastic season. If they only are able to get one or the other, then it's probably going to be a 500-type season. And if they don't, they don't achieve either one, then they're probably looking at, you know, three or four wins. So, you know, it's going to be pretty easy for me to tell based on the numbers I look at whether or not they're living up to, to the, the expectations they need to have. Definitely. And then you're more than just an advanced stats guy. Something that I always love seeing is how you break down the formation and personnel usage over on KSO. What were the major trends you saw on offense last year? Yeah, with, when you look at personnel, um, what, what you would think of, K-State was a heavy use of a tight end team last year, 66% of the time, uh, case, basically two-thirds of the time, K-State had a tight end. Two tight ends a little over a quarter of the time. So they, they used the tight end or tight end H. Um, they were spread about 56% of the time. So uh, that, that's three or more wide receivers when I say spread. Um, I think this is where people would probably – think maybe overthink things. They were only two back about 25% of the time last year. So they weren't a huge, heavy two-back team. They were one, one back almost 70% of the time. And then they ran diamond, that three-back gun formation was spread three or four percent of the time. So when I look at it, um, the evolution is going to be, does, does the tight end spread split stay about the same? Does the two-back, one-back, split stay about the same and those are going to be things this year to watch for me if that evolves at all in the second year of, of Messingham's offense yeah and you're you're the smartest man who's ever been on this podcast I'm a big dumb dumb I've I'd have the diamond formation almost every single play I love <laughs> it I love it when they do that but uh this is more opinion based than anything what would you like to if, if you were going to zap into Courtney Messingham's body for the next you know six months how would you uh evolve and change the formation personnel breakouts that he uses well it's gonna i think it's you got to go by personnel i mean my, my first thing is you know the big pickup this year was Bradley moore a tight end and and what difference is he going to make are they going to use more and Leonard's more i mean are we going to see more two tight end or tight end h sets and is that going to be more like 30 35 percent instead of 25 percent that we saw last year that's something for me to look at um, um, again, I go back to, <clears throat> uh, traditionally, uh, North Dakota state was a big, much bigger two back team. Um, but K-State just simply did not have a lot of two back success last year. You know, and I, I don't want to just get rid of the fullback, but when you look at two back, K-State 
when I look at success rate, only had a 31% success rate with two back sets, whereas one back they were at 45% success rate. So, you know, to me that that means you know maybe you should look more at at what works. Two back with a tight end that drops the 23% success rate and under four yards per play. So, you know, a lot of that was short yardage situations. So some of that you can't you got to look at situationally the yards per play, but definitely a success rate under 35% is bad and you're down to 23% with two backs and a tight end. That's tough. You know, you, you got to have better success on offense. And, and I think to me, that was one of the big learning curves for this staff is how can they use power in this league? And then finally, you look at the passing game. Um, we only averaged 6.4 yards per attempt in big 12 play last year. And, and uh, success rate was okay. Um, finished it, the passing success rate finished at 41%, which is not awful, but again, not a lot of big plays. Um, are we gonna have that wide receiver that catches 20, 25 balls and averages nearly 20 yards per catch? You know, that's to me gonna be the big key. Can we develop one guy or even two guys that are big play threats? Because we just were, you know, we were eighth or ninth last year in explosiveness in big 12 play. And, you know, that's you've, – you've got to get some big plays on offense, uh, and K-State simply couldn't do that last year, and that made it really tough. Yeah, and, and you mentioned it, all uh, some of the discrepancies and, you know, success rate, uh, you know, highs and lows. Do you see Courtney Messingham being able to make the evolution and, you know, pick up on – you know, these trends, hey, they had the issues with the two back, they had some issues with power, or do you think, hey, he's, you know, year two under this, we're just going to improve on what he wants to do? Well, to me, I look, I, I, I see last year as he evolved during the season uh, a lot in the running game, you know. Uh, first of all, early in the season, we were probably 60% run, of course, you know, you had Nickel State and, you know, games that we could run the ball really well in, but even against Mississippi State, we ran the ball a lot. We tried to against Oklahoma State. So there was a big evolution. Um, last year, we were about 50% um, running back power the first eight games on average in, in quarterback power. That dropped to only 25% the last six games where we ran power runs of the running game. And then the last four games, it was under 20% power runs. So we, there was a big evolution last year in going from, we, we're, we come from North Dakota State, we're a two-back power team, that's what we're going to do, and them realizing, hey, this isn't working. You know, we've got to be, uh, be better. And, if, and then you look at success rate in Big 12 play, running back zone option plays had a success, success rate of 42%, and power only had a success rate of 32%. And then you look at the split, you know, in, in Big 12 games only, we were 41% run and 49% pass. So there was a big evolution. Only 15% running back power of the total offense. 11% was that featured A-gap power that they were known for and kind of had the reputation of. But then they became 25% zone option uh, in the run running back run game and, and 5% zone option in the quarterback run game. So there was an evolution of – what they saw they could do last year. And I think we're going to see more of the same this year. Um, hopefully a better balance 
as we start because, you know, there's not three non-conference games to get ready. There's one, and then you got Oklahoma on the road right away. So that's going to be a big challenge um, on, on how they adjust and what they do to be ready to go to Norman right away. Definitely, and, and I, I'll be keying in on it. It'll be interesting to see, uh, especially just one non-conference game, um, are they going to be trying out different stuff? I'd imagine you're not going to see as much player rotation when you only have one to get ready for Big 12 season. So, uh, you know, we're only, you know, a handful of days away from it. I, I, It's been a while since I've been this, you know, excited and keyed in on just one non-conference game. And, man, it, it's fun. It's fun. And, and I, yeah. I enjoy hearing you talk about it. Before we get into all the uh, questions we've asked everyone in this uh, – Blitz Week preview series. I need to talk about manscaped.com real quick. You have that great beard. You do a great job <laughs> manicuring that. But if you're going, if you want to take care of the hair below the neckline, I tell you what, manscaped.com is a place to be. The lawnmower 3.0 has an LED light, 90 minute battery life, and you can use it in the shower. And guess what? They still have that no nick, snag, or cut guarantee. And after you use that, Get the best damn body wash in the world. I'm not kidding. I bought that myself. I didn't even get it in my free package from them. I buy that almost monthly, and they have the best boxer briefs around. Check out all the good stuff over there and use promo code armchair for 20% off and free shipping. And like I said at the top of the show, betonline.ag, the exclusive wagering partner of the entire Armchair Media Network. They're the naming sponsor for the entire Armchair Media Network. And guess what? They even have a web show with Floyd Money Mayweather where you can gamble and try to figure out how much all his jewelry costs. And if you get it right, you get big prizes. So head over to betonline.ag today. All right, let's get into it. We've asked every single person uh, on this Blitz Week preview series this set of questions. Uh, when you get to the prediction side of everything, the boneheads are going to hold this against you. So I hope you stand by what you say. I hope you get it right. Otherwise, you know, Greg, uh, you know, the good chef, all these boneheads are going to come after you if you get anything wrong. So, uh, But before we get into it, um, the entire world has been dealing with the pandemic, social unrest. And K-State is not, you know, immune from any of this. How would you grade how K-State, uh, Gene Taylor, Coach Kleiman handled not only the pandemic, but, you know, all the social justice and racial, uh, you know, unrest in this nation over the last five, six months? I, I would say fairly well. I mean, it, A- minus probably, if I was going to give a grade. I think – they said the right things publicly. Um, there were a few times maybe they could have been more proactive in communication or maybe a day or two earlier than when they said something. I mean, there's that debate of all, all those things of if when Gene talked or when Coach Kleiman talked. But for the most part, I think they were really good at being supportive of everything that was going on, communicating, um, taking a measured approach which is probably what I would do as well. I think taking in a measured approach and not just being reactionary um, to everything that's going on is, is, is the way to go. I mean, people, people like to just talk before thinking about what they're saying. Um, and I think being measured and, and really thinking through what you're going to say is, is a wise thing. And then, you know, you look at Kleiman, 
the comments from a lot of his players kind of speak for themselves when, when they've been talking to the media lately and, and saying, hey, Kleiman has our back. Um, you don't see you – know, I mean, they're not saying the same thing about Gene, and I wouldn't expect them to. But I think for the most part, the player reaction to what has gone on has been really positive. And saying that they've had support from administration and staff in what they, what they were saying uh, during this whole time is, is a pretty good indicator that uh, those guys have done a pretty good job. Um, maybe not perfect, but I, you know, I'd say as well as you can considering everything that's gone on. Definitely. And, and I, I echo all that. I, I don't think I could have said it any better myself. Um, there was only one staff departure from uh, last year's staff and that's Scotty Hazleton. He has a nice paycheck, but he won't be coaching football for at least a couple more months. Uh, but Joe Klanderman got promoted. He's the new defensive coordinator. Steve Sands, the new uh, linebacker coach. What, if any, changes are you expecting on that side of the ball with, you know, the small little staff shakeup? Yeah, I mean, first I'll say, I mean, I, I really enjoyed Hazleton. I think he was my favorite coach to listen to <clears throat> during the weekly pressers when he spoke. I just, you know, he's really engaging talked football at a level that high level people can understand, but also lower level people um, did a great job. Um, the one thing I do appreciate that from Klanderman before we get into football wise is Klanderman seems like a guy that's going to be more engaged in recruiting and Hazleton kind of had a hands-off approach almost to recruiting. I think he did his part, but it wasn't clearly he communicated. It wasn't something that he was going to do. And I think that's, it's good to have a – it's probably better, especially at K-State, to have a defensive coordinator that's going to be a little more proactive in the recruiting part of things. So that's a good part. Um, I do think, you know, it's hard to tell, but it sounds like Klanderman it wants to be a little more aggressive than we were last year. And maybe part of that's based on personnel and, and knowing they have more pieces that fit what they want to do now. Uh, but it just sounds like he's a little more aggressive kind of coach than Hazleton maybe was. And Hazleton – you know, we weren't bend but don't break type of defense at all. Hazleton was aggressive, but maybe even more aggressive from, from Klanderman. And the, the good thing is, you know, from just rumors I've heard, the defense has been a pretty encouraging thing so far in camp. And so, you know, if that, if that comes to fruition, the defense really can improve. You know, I said they finished about 40 this year. If they can get down into the lower 30s or even upper 20s, that would be a big deal for this team uh, to be that good on defense. Um, depending on what the offense can do. But, you know, a defensive improvement would be huge uh, for what this team can do this year. Definitely. And you mentioned it when we talked about, uh, you know, success rate earlier in the show. Um, it's year two in the Messingham experience. Uh, they had some up and ups and downs last year. Do you think they're going to be able to find a more consistent groove this year? Will losing out five of your uh, top six offensive linemen be a little bit too much to expect consistent positive games from the offense? Yeah, that's, that is tough, especially in a year where you don't have a full spring to work on things. Um, that's a lot of turnover. And I know a few of those guys, especially Josh Revis played a lot and, you know, got accolades were good, but yeah, I, I've looked at every offensive line in the league and, you know, only KU's even close to us as far as what, they return and they even return more than we do as far as offensive line starts and, and games played and those kinds of things. So 
the good thing is those guys all were here last year for the most part, so they played together. Hopefully that that is a good uh, to build kind of that cohesiveness up front. And then you hope, you know, offsetting that is you have a very experienced quarterback and hopefully more explosiveness at wide receiver. So hopefully those two things can offset the issues on the offensive line. And frankly, at times the offensive line struggled last year. I mean, I've talked about the power success rate and two-back game and, and, you know, I think they came in thinking these guys were – you know, not completely power under Schneider, but a lot of power. And adapting to power would be easy for them. And we simply weren't that great at it last year. So maybe a new group in a, a, another year of experience, even though they didn't play a lot of game action last year, will be beneficial uh, for, to make that better and make a better offense. You know, and I'm, but I'm, you know, I said last year we finished about 60. I'm, I'm hoping the offense can get to 50 or 45. You know, if they can get in that range, then you're talking about, you know, an offense that's a little more consistent. Definitely. So now it's time for the predictions. Uh, you know, this is the same group or same uh, questions we asked last year outside of the final one, and we'll get to that one when we need to. But who are you going to predict as the offensive MVP? I go, I go with Skylar Thompson. Um, I think, you know, he's got experience that'll help without the He's played basically as a starter. league seen a lot of what's gonna what's gonna happen um and that you know and honestly he's got a lot of he's got a good section of our fan base that is our detractors that don't think he's more than an average quarterback and some some even think he's worse than that so um here's a chance for him to establish a legacy of what he's going to be remembered at at k-state is it going to just be you know iowa state comeback win and beating Oklahoma and Oklahoma State when they were top 10 teams. But, you know, those highs, but then lows of last year's West Virginia game and some other games where, you know, frankly, even his, his, his sophomore year, he went through a stretch where he wasn't very good in the middle of the season uh, as far as his efficiency goes. So he's got a chance this year to establish a legacy in a 10-game schedule of what he's going to be remembered as at K-State and uh, prove – some people wrong and I think he's going to really you know he he's a guy that's very proactive um, clearly has confidence in himself and and this is his chance to go out on a high note as a K-State quarterback. Definitely and I hope that comes to fruition. Um, Flipping the defensive side of the ball who do you have as the defensive MVP? I'll go with A.J. Parker. Um, I think he was becoming maybe one of the best corners in the league when he went down with injury and I think it really hurt not to have him those last four games, um, four or five games. He led the team in Havoc per game, and Havoc's a defensive stat I like to use. It's based on tackles for loss, pass breakups, interceptions, forced fumbles, and he was the best on the team in, in how many he had per game he played. So <clears throat> I think he may be, you know, first team all Big 12 this year, maybe second team is the worst, and uh, he's got a chance to really – you know, if he can, if he can stay healthy, uh, be a leader of this defense and really lock down the secondary and hopefully, you know, help this team jump into that top 30 on defense in the, in the metrics. Definitely. Who are you predicting as the young breakout player on this team? Uh, for that, we're going to say redshirt sophomore or younger who has yet to play a big role on the team. Yeah, this, I mean, 
I went with young blood on offense. You know, we know him as a returner, but offensively he averaged six yards per touch last year. So, you know, you look at what he does in the return game and you think, no way does this guy only average six yards per time so he touched the ball uh, between receptions and, and runs last year. Clearly he's capable of more than that. You know, I think there's some, some things about being a receiver in, in this offense that, you know, he struggled with last year, but I think he can be a dynamic playmaker on offense, not just in the return game. And I see him being a guy that, you know, when I talked about can we have that guy that catches 20 balls and averages nearly 20 yards per reception, to me, Youngblood could be that guy that's a deep threat, vertical threat, uh, makes plays in space, <clears throat> and gets more involved. And, frankly, Messingham and his staff has to, has to find a way to, to have him be that kind of guy for this offense to progress. You know, you get a playmaker like that, you should clearly see what he can do on, in the return game. Can he do that on offense? And to me, I think he's the guy that could step up and be a big play threat on offense this year. All right. Now, now let's get into the ones that everyone wants to know. We, assuming we get all 10 games in, what is your record prediction? I, I'm going to go six and four. I think five and five is the floor. I think seven and three is probably the ceiling. You know, I, I'd go with that range, but so I'll say six and four is, is where we finish up. And, and I think that would be a successful season in year two. Yep, I agree with you on that one. And then last year, I would consider Oklahoma a massive statement win. Some people would say Mississippi State. Some people would say Iowa State. I would say beating Iowa State is just, you know, getting back to normal. But, you know, I can't, I can't force everyone to have that same opinion. But would you put your, you know, the KSU underscore fan stamp of – statement on any games preseason that you think K-State's going to win? I think we get at least one. You know, you look at – if you look at the preseason metrics, you have Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas as basically top 20 teams in the metrics. I think we beat at least one of those teams this year. And and to me, winning one of those three – now, that, I mean, people can rise and fall, but beating one of those three teams would be a statement win as I look at it right now. You know, you got six top 40 teams. Um, they likely all won't end up top 40 teams, but, you know, if you win, hopefully if you win three of those, then you're looking at that seven win season. Um, I think they'll win at least two. So um, hopefully we don't lose to any of those teams that are in the, in the bottom from 60 below. Um, but I'd say they are going to at least one, get one big win this year. I like it. And then the final question, this is one I can't wait to delete when we do this series next year. But uh, 10 games are on the schedule. How many are going to get played? Ooh, that is a great <laughs> question. I, I hate that I, question. I'm, I'm going to go with eight. I think there will be a few games that get canceled at some point. But I think the way I see where things are going now, I think they'll keep pushing through. I, I just think there's going to be some Big 12 teams play 10 games and some probably play – seven or eight games. I just think that might happen this year. <clears throat> I hope that happens. I hope it's not we get through, something happens, and we just cancel. I mean, that, that's the alternative. I don't think that'll happen. So I think um, I'll go with K-State playing eight games. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I'd take eight over four, three, two, one, zero, all that type of stuff. I'm still going to yeah. keep my fingers crossed that there's enough flexibility that we get 10 in. But you know, if you put a gun to my head right now and said, do you take eight, I probably would. Yeah, I think 
I mean, it's just a crazy time. You never know what's going to happen or how people react. I mean, in case they just had seven reported cases yesterday, sounds like we're still practicing. So that's a good sign that they didn't shut down and quarantine the whole team, but still not, still not good to see seven uh, <clears throat> reported in the news. But yep, hopefully, I think that's part of COVID football. Yeah, no, it 100% is. Hopefully they use it as a little bit of a uh, shock the system, similar to when they came back uh, for summer workouts and had the uh, first uh, 15 positives. Hopefully it's a wake-up call, um, and hopefully we get all 10 in. Uh, but that's it. That's, uh, that's all for the uh, Jimmy uh, Blitz Week episode 2020. As always, we'll give the uh, guests the final word. So what do you want to say to all the boneheads and K-State fans listening? I'd say just enjoy, um, find things to enjoy and, and when times are tough, um, find things to focus on that are positive uh, with you and your families. Um, be safe, take the proper precautions. I know the, the opinion on severity of COVID is all over the map with, with K-State fans, with people in general. But I think we can be respectful to each other and, and our fellow man and wear a mask and social distance and those kinds of things. And it'll shake out someday how effective that was. We don't know right now, but, you know, I'd say just be smart and be, be kind to each other um, and enjoy football as it comes this year. Enjoy what we have. Enjoy watching games on TV. Um, hopefully seeing the cats play at least eight, hopefully 10 and see what happens. Maybe, you know, maybe something crazy happens in case state's playing in the big 12 title game this year. So, you know, have fun. Uh, enjoy the fall. Today kind of feels fall-like. Weather's in the 70s instead of the 90s, which is a nice switch. And that, and that gives me ready to, to watch some football. Hopefully hopefully we get to watch a lot of it. Yep, I agree with it. I love it. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to cut that little uh, ending speech and save it off to my phone to listen to, you know, <laughs> every morning to, to, to put me in a positive mood. So, uh, Jimmy, thank you so much as always coming on. Um, you know, KSU underscore fan on uh, Twitter. Catch him over at KSO. He does all sorts of great stuff. Um, Jimmy's been doing this, you know, as long as I've been a K-State fan on the internet. And I can't thank him enough for his contribution to K-State fandom. So, Boneheads, uh, you know, this wraps up week one. We're bringing you guys five more episodes next week. Um, you know, keep grinding with us. You know, football hopefully is here. Uh, love you guys. Uh, enjoy the holiday weekend. And uh, if Grant was here, he'd say meet him at the Cathead. Let's go. The world has been turned upside down and college football with it. Both the Big Ten and the Pac-12 can have postponed their 2020 football season. Still cautious optimism that a college football season can be played safely. We're preparing to play. I try to be everything that I can. But sometimes I come out as being nothing. I pray to God that he make me a better man. Maybe one day I'ma stand for something. Feels good to be back. Tell me ain't nobody better than me. I think that there's better than me. Hope you see the better in me. Always end up better in me. I don't want to ruin this one. This type of love don't always come in. Go. Welcome everybody.
stay strong, we gon' live long. I want football, you want football, everybody wants football. College football is going to be played and it's time to get excited about it. Sports Social Podcast Network.